sounds like I'm killing him. <laughs> and that's my boy, the Yeti. <laughs> the Yeti. It's a direct quote. <laughs> direct. From the mouth of the monster himself. He's not a monster. He's misunderstood. He is. This Don't... is Jin. This is Becky. This is too close to home. <laughs> I might be Jin. Or it might be a Yeti. I, I don't know. Have you ever seen me and the Yeti in the same place at the same time? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep an air of mystery. <laughs> kind of like Superman. Never get a hairy room. white ass. Jimmy, Jimmy knows. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to. We decided after the, the fun of Rasputin and all the dick swinging and. Big dick energy. All that. That we need a little mind bleach. Before we get into the next one that I'm going to do, because it's going to be take you to a very dark place. So, oh, yeah. So we got to go to a very high place, a very happy place. And by high, we mean the Himalayan mountains. No, not for 20 high. Yeah, the Himalayans. Yeah. Himalayan. <laughs> we're going high. So I think we're all familiar with the Yeti. But for those of us that aren't, remember that the Yeti. I don't want to live in a world where, like, I meet somebody and they're like, I've never heard. Like, you have those people that are like, Oh, I've never seen Forrest Gump. Like, how have you not seen Forrest Gump in your life? How have you never heard of the fucking Yeti? That's like cryptid 101. Exactly. We can't be friends if you don't know. You don't have to know his backstory. Because you got to know who he is. Thank you. <laughs> I I didn't know Rasputin's backstory, but I knew who he was. Exactly. That's so my that's girl. what Jen and I are here for, to fill you in on those backstories. And now you'll be prepared. And you don't have to research. You can just ride in your car and listen to it and find out all kinds of stuff. <laughs> All right. So the Yeti is a well-known ape-like creature purported to inhabit the Himalayan mountain range in Asia. In Western popular culture, the creature is commonly referred to as the... Bigfoot. Oh, y'all, let's, the podcast is overcut. We're not friends anymore. What? The Abominable Snowman. Oh, the Abominable Snowman. God. Well, I mean, they're all related. God. I know. I'm the worst. They are like distant cousins, all of them. They're like that redneck cousin from West Virginia. You know exactly. What I mean? Yeah. Through marriage. <laughs> Second cousin, twice removed. I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Folklorist trace the. Second crippled, twice removed. <laughs> Sorry. Folklorist trace the origin of the Yeti to a combination of factors, including Sherpa folklore and misidentified fauna, such as barren yak. Fauna is just another name for wildlife. Tibetan lore describes three main varieties of the yetis. The Nayama, which has black fur and is the largest and the fiercest, standing around 15 feet tall. The Chudi, which stands around 8 foot tall and lives 8,000 to 10,000 feet above sea level. And the Rangshimbamba, which has reddish brown fur and is only 3 to 5 feet tall. Oh my god, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the little baby Yeti. I'm the little baby Yeti. Yetis, according to the 21st century sightings, are said to stand 8 to 10 and a half feet tall, have a furry coat of brown, reddish, or black hair, and resemble a huge, upright, walking ape. Contrary to popular misconception, the Yeti is not white. There are no known white Yetis. Oh. I thought he was just trying to be like equal opportunity here. (laughs) We don't see colors. (laughs) All yetis are equal. In reality, there has never been a report of a white yeti. Several expeditions have taken place to find the yeti. Isn't there? Okay. Have they not seen Rudolph the Red Red Snow Reindeer and they had the yeti guy in there? 
Well, technically, he was an abominable snowman, which is another name for a Yeti. But I think that they're third cousins once removed. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're right. You're right. Don't quote me, but that's what the genealogy site said. (laughs) That's what Ancestry said. (laughs) Although all these expeditions have taken place, the only thing they have been able to find are footprints, bones, and hair samples of the Yeti. And let me just let you know, you guys are about to be shocked at the amount of research that has gone into the Yeti. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, the fuck is going on last night when I was... Like, all the little trails that you head down, like... Oh, no, 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 no. You Just wait. I'm going to let it be a surprise when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a early birthday present. <laughs> the name Abominable Snowman was coined in 1921. The year Lieutenant Colonel Charles Howard Burry led the 1921... British Mount Everest Reconnaissance uh, Expedition, which he chronicled in Mount Everest, the reconnaissance. In the book, Howard Burry includes an account of crossing the Lagpala at 21,000 feet, where he found footprints that he believed were probably caused by a large lopping gray wolf, which in the soft snow formed double tracks rather than those of barefooted man. So he believed them. Wolf was hopping, and basically the front paw and the back paw were coming together to make you it know look how like the one giant. You know how the wolves be hopping. I know <laughs> it be hopping around like the Easter Bunny. Only eight to ten thousand feet above sea level. Okay? Yes, yeah. You Not know, a what? foot higher or lower. Mm-mm. You know, if there where it's cold and there's any oxygen, he's just fucking lopping around. <laughs> he adds that his Sherpa guides at once volunteered that the tracks must be that of the wild man of the snows, to which they gave the name Mido Kongmi. Mido translate to man bear, and Kongmi translate to snowman. The use of abominable snowman began when Henry Newman, a longtime contributor to the Statesman in Calcutta, interviewed the purporters of the Everest reconnaissance expedition on their return. Newman mistranslated the word meadow as filthy, and he decided to like clean it up and make it classier by saying abominable. So that's how abominable snowman. What does abominable mean? Like, like you're like an abomination, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. That raises a whole new. T- yeah, I just like I've never thought about the word until right now. Me neither. And I was like, that makes it even more fierce. Yeah, I was Slay. like, interesting, interesting. I want to be called abominable for the rest of my life. Thank you, <laughs> abominable chin. <laughs> Done. I too am white. <laughs> she is. Well, the abominable snowman the is not. Okay, Remember, yeah, that's this right. Is, that's right. But yeah. I do love the cold. Somehow, I think people got like polar bears in the snow and the abominable snowman. They kind of just all meshed it together. But like you know, it came flush. But that's but fake news. Fake, fake news, news, guys. You heard it first here. That's I'm here too to close dispel to fake news. <laughs> that's all we do. News one. He's not Ignore white. Ignore the fact that I'm talking about a yeti. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important part. We're cryptologists, remember? Exactly. Cryptozoologists. Cryptozoologists. Give me my correct title. Thank you. (laughs) So we're going to go over some of the history and sightings, starting with the pre-19th century. According to H. Seiger, the Yeti was part of the pre-Buddhist beliefs of several Himalayan people. He was told that the Lepcha people worshipped a glacier being as a god of the hunt. He also reported that followers of the Bon religion <coughs> once believed the blood of the Myragi, my, me, me, you know what? The blood of the wild man. 
They like it. Had use in certain spiritual ceremonies. The being was depicted as an ape-like creature who carries a large stone as a weapon and makes a whistling swoosh sound, like the sound of my thighs when they rub together when I walk. <laughs> whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> exactly. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Same seas. That's why they married us. Okay. Exactly. No thigh gap here. <laughs> <laughs> this, these are burlum hips and legs, okay? <laughs> the Yeti was adopted in Tibetan Buddhism where it is considered a non-human animal that is nonetheless human enough to sometimes be able to follow Dharma. I know. He's he's not only fierce, he's also spiritual. Uh, when you say Dharma, I just think about Dharma and Greg. I know. <laughs> <laughs> same, same, same I'm not classy, I guess. <laughs> like, look, he's spiritual. I'm like, as in sitcom spiritual? <laughs> no, on a deeper level, Jen. <laughs> deeper level. Several stories feature yetis becoming helpers and disciples to religious figures. In Tibet, images of yetis are paraded and occasionally worshipped as guardians against evil spirits. However, because yetis sometimes act as enforcers of dharma, hearing or seeing one is often considered a bad omen for which the witness must accumulate merit. In Buddhist mythology, the yetis were peaceful creatures. They were very shy lived in dense snow caves on the glaciers, which form the Ganges River in India. In modern times, most sightings and evidence are on K2. That's where a lot of the bodies are, aren't they, on Everest? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen, listen, there are so many bodies on Everest that they were having to try to plan, like, how the fuck, we gotta have to get rid of something. This is, like, pollution or something. Like, we gotta do something with them. It's just like giant ice cubes up there. But literally, Fine. they, and they... It's like a mummification almost. But how creepy would it be? Like, let me go do this. Oh, body. Oh, you know, oh, a body. lot of the bodies are now used as um, markers. Mm -hmm. mm. It was like green shoes or something. Yeah. Like no, man. I mean, come on. There's that's only one high only I want to be in life. And that's with marijuana. <laughs> the only way I'm probably ever going to make history books is by being a body <laughs> that is used as a directional you're gonna, marker. You're going to go straight past, straight past JJ. Take a left at Becky. <laughs> Exactly. That is the only way I make in the history books. <laughs> Probably not the only way I could end up on the internet, but only way I make in the history books. <laughs> well, at least we know it won't be OnlyFans, okay? Uh, no one's paying for that. <laughs> JJ would. Oh, yeah. He, he would be your number one fan. He pays me in coffee and brownies. Yeah, he do. <laughs> Tibetan um, monasteries have collected several skulls and bones of yetis some of which reside in the Smithsonian Museum today. Yes. The like the I've been to the Smithsonian of the nat the nat the natural history one. Yeah. I don't remember seeing it. I feel like I'm gypped. Now yeah. I mean I have to go, go back. back. Exactly. I need to see the skull. <laughs> exactly. I was like if I go only for that reason, it's an accomplishment in my There's life. There's like two things I remember about the Smithsonian, okay? And it's the American uh history one. And they say they have a Kermit the Frog and they have Julia Child's replica kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow you miss Yeti Bones. Somehow. Disappointed. Disappointed. I'm disappointed in me too. <laughs> Although one of their specimens was later proved to be human bone, other sort in the museum well, are still I mean, in question. We're all related, aren't we? Exactly. It's called evolution. Says the cryptozoologist. We know. Thank you. All right. Now we're moving on to the 19th century. In 1832, James Prisip's Journey of Asiatic Society of Bengal 
published Trekker B.H. Hodgkin's account of his experience in northern Nepal. His local guide spotted a tall, bipedal creature covered with long, dark hair, which seemed to flee in fear. Hoxton concluded it was an orangutan. What? I know. I know. Like, I, th- I think I've seen pictures in Nepal. They have all those colorful flags and a lot of snow. And I don't think orangutan has ever once been in one of those. I don't know. JJ, are there orangutans up there? Failing. Failing. <laughs> you need to have your shit on deck, okay? We're going to need you to start having a computer and you're like our research guide. I just want to hear. Yeah. Fact checker. He's our fact checker. That's his title. That's it. It's like when you're on CSI. He's the nerd in the in the the thing. Enhance, enhance. Except we're gonna say fact check, fact check. Then when like people call us out for being wrong, we'd be like, it was JJ's fault. God damn it, JJ! Once again, he's also our fall guy. Him and Jimmy. Yes. It JJ wasn't, it wasn't that, us though. that messed up. It was Jimmy's mics and shit. Like, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry I got it wrong. JJ was supposed to fact check it. <laughs> I'm going to start blaming JJ for everything. I, I just stubbed my toe. Damn it, JJ. I have been for 10 years. <laughs> Why stop now? <laughs> just good times keep rolling. <laughs> An early record of reported footprints appeared in 1899 in Lawrence Waddle's Among the Himalayas. Waddle reported the guide's description of large ape-like creature that left the prints, which uh, he thought was made by a bear. He'd heard stories of the bipedal ape-like creature, but wrote that none, however, of the many Tibetans I have interrogated on this subject could give me any authentic case of the most superficial investigation. So he's admitting superficial so, investigation. Wh- I basically was at the bar and guy? asked some people. <laughs> he's they walking around anybody? asking people who don't speak English and they're like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> of the most superficial investigation, it always resolved into something that somebody heard of. My sister's cousin. My she sister's cousin, brother, auntie. <laughs> yes. She's a reputable source. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So we're going to move on to the 20th century. There was a few more, but they were like very just like Bob Solomon in the woods. And I was like, I don't need to put all these in there. Listen, look at you. <laughs> like you're a real podcaster. I almost. I mean, like, I even, I'm impressed. Guess what? Today I even got a fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> we're basically legit. Basically. <laughs> oh, by the way, JJ, the salary is zero dollars and zero cents a year. You're welcome. With a whole lot of insults. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. And some bullying. <laughs> minor. Minor at that. <laughs> minor at best. <laughs> minor, I mean major. <laughs> I mean, it's opposite day. You're going to be doubting a lot of things about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the frequency of reports increased during the 20th century when Westerners, that's us. That's us. Damn Americans. Began making determined attempts to scale the many mountains in the area and occasionally reported seeing odd creatures or strange tracks. That's nothing more American than being nosy as hell and being like, I need to see this shit for myself. Oh, wait till you, in a little bit, we're going to meet a guy that would have been our best friend. Oh my God. I can't wait. In 1925, Tambalzi, a photographer and member of the Royal Geographic Society, writes that he saw a creature at about 15,000 feet near Zimu Glacier. Tambazi later wrote that he observed the creature from about 200 to 300 yards for about a minute. Unquestionably, the figure and outline was exactly like a human being. Walking upright, stopping occasionally to pull at some dwarf bushes. 
As a human does. Exactly. That's what I do. I just walk around pulling at fucking bushes all day. <laughs> Thought that's what we all did. No? No, just me. That's not, that's not your hobby. It's my hobby. <laughs> me too. <laughs> it showed up dark against the snow. And as far as I could make out, wore no clothes. Again, naked, walking around, pulling at bushes. Has he never been to Florida to see some of these retirement beaches? <laughs> right. You didn't need to go all the way across the seas to see that. They got their own towels and everything. <laughs> <laughs> About two hours later, Timbalzi and his companions descended the mountain and saw the creature's prints, described as similar in shape to those of a man, but only six to seven inches long and four inches wide. The prints were undoubtedly those of a biped. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. No questions. Western interest in the Yeti peaked dramatically in the 1950s. While attempting to scale Mount Everest in 1951, Eric Shipman took photographs of a number of large prints in the snow at about 6,000 meters above sea level. These photos have been subject to intense scrutiny and debate. Some argue they are the best evidence of the Yeti's existence, while others contend the prints are those of mundane creatures that have been distorted by the melting snow. This is in the 20s? 50s. The 50s? I mean, they didn't have Photoshop then. Nuh-uh. And they have, um, you can find these particular um, pictures of the prints all over the internet, and they have like a little snow axe next to it to like show the oh, size shit. and everything. It's like banana for scale. Exactly. <laughs> You're fucking so dirty. Filthy whore. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Makes my mama so proud. I, I bet it does. <laughs> While they didn't have a banana for scale. <laughs> That's why we always keep bananas handy. <laughs> Is that why? <laughs> it, it's a pretty interesting picture. And uh, you can see little little toes. And it, it looks like a Yeti footprint to me. So does he have like long toes or are they cute and, little nubs? Little um, po- little little uh they're long balls. They're long. They're oh. not little snowballs. And like I said, it looks real to me. I am a self-appointed cryptozoologist. <laughs> so self-appointed doctor of cryptozoology. <laughs> so you can take it as fact. Don't need to check with the fact checker. I got it's like homestead rescue. This is my degree. <laughs> yes. I printed one out. It's you hanging hold, in JJ's office. Hold this picture up. I totally agree as well. I actually want to find a diploma now and put my name on it and hang it <laughs> in JJ's office. That's what you're getting for your birthday. I want to put it right in the back so when he's on work meetings, they can see my cryptozoologist diploma. <laughs> got to put that shit real big. Becky Johnson. I'm going to have a one. Self-appointed doctor. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be one of those that has the light that shines on it. Listen, this is going to be the name of the title. You could put special guest, Dr. Becky Johnson, cryptozoologist. Self-appointed doctor of cryptozoology. Jimmy, write that down. Timestamp. I don't hear you click clacking. See? Mild bullying. Mild. I hear you click clacking. You better get quick clacking over there. <laughs> Mild at best. At best. So in 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary. Anybody know who that is? Jimmy. Oh, and he gets the award for the day. Sorry, chumps. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds like he's a nerd. <laughs> so Sir Edmund Hillary is known worldwide as one of the first two men to climb the world's highest mountain, Mount Everest. So 
Just saying. Man, man and he here. did it back in the day where, like, you didn't have any, like... Uh-uh, yeah. You go up there with the oxygen chains and shit. Did they even have oxygen chains back then? They did. But oh, they were, yeah, like, yeah. the ones in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just take this iron lug up this fucking mountain. <laughs> Exactly. And so, remember, you can't just take one because you're going to run out of that yeah. bitch real quick. It's like, it's like, you're uh, have uh, like a car full of them. It's like computer memory back then. Like it would take a big ass fucking Volkswagen exactly. sized computer to, to hold one picture. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Question. So if you are deprived of oxygen, would you see things? So we're going to get to that. Oh, I love the way that you always find a way to like segue this. Yes. 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 So proud of you. Got a vibe. All right, Jimmy, she got your award. <laughs> just, Suck it. Just kidding. <laughs> so he climbed with Sherpa uh, Tenzing Norgay within cryptozoology, my field. <laughs> However, I'm like CT tech and cryptozoologist. <laughs> I should start signing stuff at work that please, way. Please, please. They would probably fire me immediately. <laughs> or promote you. <laughs> I like where you're at. bitch has got a doctorate. Pay raise. <laughs> you know what? Here's another ten thousand dollars. I'm like JJ. Guess what? I got another pay raise because they found out about my PhD. <laughs> and I don't mean pretty huge thing. <laughs> this is coming in so much. It's so it's so handy. <laughs> Tell me how many times you went to the hospital didn't need to know about Bigfoot or Mothman. <laughs> we could all just refer to me as Dr. Becky from here on out. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's about time I get the respect I deserve. Put the doctor on her name. Thank you. <laughs> all right, let me get myself together. <laughs> so anyway, within cryptozoology, Sir Edmund Hillary will always be remembered as the first man who hunted the Yeti. <gasps> Doing things. Big dick energy. <laughs> big, some big ass dick energy in that time. <laughs> like the gear he had. You've seen how like like bathing suits back in the day and stuff like how ridiculous gear would be back in the day. And yeah. I know it's not that long ago, but like could you imagine? <laughs> I'm on the hunt <laughs> with his like snowshoes racket things. His 16 oxygen tanks. <laughs> oh. Sorry. I'm I'm taking us way off track. <laughs> Way off track. Don't worry, guys. I only have 14 more pages to go. <laughs> Jimmy might be right. This might be our first two-part. <laughs> so in 1952, Hillary, along with George Lau, found hair on the high pass while in the mountains, relating it to the Yeti. Then in 1953, oh, this motherfucker, he went on many expeditions for the Yeti. And I found one thing that said he later is was like... Is this the one that you said was going to be your best friend? Uh -uh. I, nope. Oh, okay. This isn't even our best friend yet. I already like him a lot. Like, I know. <laughs> you sound like you you're, you got sir in the front of your name. So I know you got some royal in you. So that means you got the scoop on all the royal drama. And you probably got money to you, finance this. <laughs> nothing to do but finance Yeti hunts. Yes. <laughs> He's like the... Um, the the two brothers and the the one brother is kind of like, ah, fuck you guys. I don't want to be royal anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there he is. This is him. He's like, I'm just going to take my royal money and hunt yetis. And his parents are like, ah, Jesus Christ. He's the black sheep. Just let him do it. Just let him do it. <laughs> Man, why can't I bend the black sheep like that? <laughs> I know, right? I'm just the black sheep that went to jail a bunch of times. With a whole bunch of... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just the black sheep that always almost tries to get murdered. <laughs> All right, moving on. We're really digressing. 
We're really digressing. <laughs> in 1953, Yeti tracks were found by Hillary in the Baran Kura range. The next year, two British members of Hillary's team discovered Yeti tracks in the Choyong Valley. His trusted Sherpa friends would tell Hillary of their firsthand sightings of the man-sized Yeti. So hold on, hold on, hold on. What you're telling me <laughs> is the locals there told the rich white guy, oh, yeah, yeah we see Yetis all the time. Keep coming back. They're up there. <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot of money for these oxygen things. <laughs> we got you, fam. <laughs> Don't worry. They're on sale today for $9,999. You only need two to get up there to the Yeti. I saw him last night. I told him, wait here. My boy, Don't go. Don't my, go, man. My boy's coming to see you. <laughs> they were trusted, though. I believe it all was... Just truly 100% legit. (laughs) When Hillary went to the Himalayas to look for the Yeti, he and his collaborator, journalist Desmond Doing, noted that there were several unknown primates still undiscovered in any formal way that were said to be there. So basically, they were like just finding like um, wild unknown animals all over the fucking place. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. You need to name them after anything. I'm going to name you Toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows about these guys yet. There's sure, so sure, many sure. new animals called Becky and Jen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'm thinking that oxygen tank wasn't working out real well for you. Is it oxygen or is it laughing gas? <laughs> right? You are hallucinogenics because you're seeing a lot of shit up there. <laughs> There's a whole new monkey over here. It's the same monkey we saw 10 minutes ago. No. No. So this one. one's smoking a banana. <laughs> <laughs> banana for scale. <laughs> during most of the 1950s Hillary was a supporter of the possibility of the existence of a Yeti late in 1960 so now we're 10 years later and this motherfucker's still out there looking for Yetis I'm here for it Yeah, that's dedication (laughs) Sir Edmund Hillary sponsored by the World Book Encyclopedia Company of Chicago left on his famous expedition to Nepal in pursuit of the abominable snowman in 1960 Sir Hillary went to the Himalayas, which was to collect and analyze physical evidence of the Yeti. Hillary borrowed a supposed Yeti scalp from the Kumjong Monastery. <laughs> you know, I probably said that wrong. And as soon as I did, I'm like, this immature bitch. <laughs> the what? The Kumjong? <laughs> Kumjong, let's say that. Kumjong. <laughs> Monastery. Then himself and Kumjo Chumba. <laughs> The village headman brought the scout back to London where a small sample was cut off for testing. Marcia Burns made a detailed examination of the sample of skin and hair from the margin of the Yeti, alleged Yeti scalp, and compared it with similar scalps from... What? Wait, where are all these scalps coming from? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He was like, so this tribe told me this was a Yeti scalp. I guess they scalp a motherfucker too. <laughs> And they took it back to London, where then they were analyzing it under a microscope. With yeah. their other collection of microscope scouts. Yeah. Just saying, somebody sounds like a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me, is this human or Yeti? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Yeti. To- totally a Yeti. <laughs> I have a whole collection of Yetis. <laughs> this was a blonde Yeti. It's really rare. <laughs> they call them my angel Yetis. <laughs> <laughs> so... She compared it to similar samples from the Ciro, Black Bear, and Blue Bear. Burns concluded this sample. There's a Blue Bear? (laughs) Yeah. He's on that one show. (laughs) 
the blue bear's just up there chilling with the Yeti. <laughs> I was like, I don't think he's he said black blue. bear, this, and then blue bear. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're not going to slide that past me. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. <laughs> I've been smoking on my pin, but I'm pretty sure I heard blue bear. <laughs> Is it blueberries? <laughs> Burns concluded the sample was probably made from the skin of an animal closely resembling the sampled specimen of the Ciro, but definitely not identical with it, possibly a local variety or race of the same species, or from a different but completely related species. Different. So, what you're basically telling me is what I already knew is from some type of fucking animal, and you're not sure which one. I can neither confirm nor deny. How much should I pay you for this conclusion? <laughs> this... This rich white guy's just getting took for money left oh, and right. All day long. You said you have a Yeti ball? <laughs> now I said just the one? 8,000? Say less. I'll give you 16. <laughs> <laughs> In good faith. <laughs> that when you find the second ball, it's mine. <laughs> During the Daily Mail Snowman Expedition of 1954, the Mountaineer leader, John Angelo Jackson, made the first trek from Everest to <laughs> to Canton Junga and the <laughs> don't mad at me don't be mad at me I love that for so using much. the tools provided to me click click Captain Jumba <laughs> I take advantage of the resources available to me Listen, just because they didn't have it in the 1920s doesn't mean I shouldn't use it now. Thank you. So he went to Katajunga, <laughs> in the course of which he photographed symbolic paintings of the Yeti. Jackson tracked and photographed many footprints in the snow, most of which were identifiable. However, there were many large footprints which could not be identified. Those flattened footprint-like indentions were attributed to erosion and subsequent widening of the original footprint by wind and particles. So everybody got an explanation for these footprints other than Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> the sass in your face <laughs> and the Yeti. <laughs> the Yeti is real. I know where am I getting from. And let me tell you, I'm going to get to get to something here in a little bit that makes me think he is real. Like legit. Wait, was there ever a doubt? Momentarily, I'm ashamed to say. But you know what? But every, I'm a true believer good- now. Doctor of cryptozoology does. <laughs> you have to have that. I follow the evidence. <laughs> says I am a scientist, okay, and I follow scientist rules. They're a lot like Monopoly rules, especially the version where you make your own rules. Yeah. <laughs> but in the world of cryptozoology, that's how things are done. <laughs> exactly. She would know. She's a doctor. <laughs> I am. JJ didn't know he's married to a doctor. Put that on your Facebook page. <laughs> you will be a stay-at-home mom yet, JJ. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> right now, my salary is zero dollars zero cents, <laughs> but I have a feeling of raises coming. <laughs> I got a feeling. I'm gonna start paying myself a dollar a week. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the month, I can afford a cup of Starbucks plain coffee. <laughs> And I deserve it. <laughs> so the purported Yeti scalp at the Kumjung Monastery. 
First of all, it's at a monastery, so you have to believe it's real. I mean, they're not lying. I've never known a religious person to lie. <laughs> either. Or her children. No. Catholics are especially a, good about it, you know? Holy <laughs> child scalp. Oh my God. <laughs> do I love this so much. I love this story. I do too. I love that you've got 15 fucking pages of this because <laughs> this is already amazing and you're not, probably not even done with page one. <laughs> and living for it. I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> 30 minutes in. During the 1950s, three alleged Yeti scalps at, let me just uh, do y'all a favor here. Hangbosh, Kumjung, and Namche Bazaar. Okay, okay. So there was three scalps at those places. <laughs> <laughs> and they attracted a lot of attention. On October 9th, 1953, the Ping Bungsh, Ping Bungsh, Ping. You got, I got it. You got it. Scalp. <laughs> Thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> thank you. It's way better than my Russian. <laughs> no, no, but thank you for the lies. <laughs> It was the first to be seen by outsiders. Four Indian mountaineers, Charles Evans and Professor Fjord Hamelendorf. The Lamas claimed the scalp, which was shaped like the traditional depiction of a Yeti's head. It was more than 300 years old. As evidence, this is, this is the best right here. It was, it was more than 300 years old. As evidence by the loss of hair on the top of his head. <laughs> We can come for him so hard, okay? Just imagine a Yeti run around the forest and he's bald on just the top of his head. Yeti pattern baldness, you know? <laughs> oh, he's got to be 300 because you see how he's got uh, Yeti pattern baldness. Look at that. He ain't even had a plug transplant yet, okay? <laughs> I'm like, I'm confused, but whatever. Go, first go of all, with it. Like, there's so, first of all, questions. Every question. All the questions I've ever imagined in my own life. <laughs> questions I didn't know that I had. <laughs> Let's go through them one by one. <laughs> It was photographed and hair samples were taken and sent to experts. When a Daily Mail expedition examined and took the hairs from the scalp in 1954, they also discovered a similar specimen. I'm not sure what the next word is supposed to be because it just says hairier. <laughs> so I'm not you sure. some Jennifer stuff right there. I did. I don't even know what I wrote right there. <laughs> not sure if autocorrect got me or what. But it probably was that, though. You know how autocorrect. Yeah. When have you ever needed to say ducking? Exactly. Not never. a single time. Not once. <laughs> and apparently younger in the monastery at Kumjung. So you got the first scout. They're like, yeah, that bitch is like 300 years old. Look, he's balding. At the second one, they're like, nah, that's a younger, younger letty. He, yeti. He ain't losing no hair yet. And then the third one was in a temple, which was quickly identified as a crude imitation of the other two scouts. So they were like, the third one, that shit ain't even real. Various expeditions organized by your boy, you're going to be a new BFF, Tom Slick. I love him. I love the name. And first of all, with the name like that, how can you not be friends? He's Slick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as well as a Japanese expedition from 1959 to 1960 removed hairs from all three scalps. So we got folks coming from all over the U.S. Again, with to all get the scalps. <laughs> hairs from these scalps to see if the Yeti's real. I didn't know he had such a worldwide following i mean is ed gain up in here scalping people like he wearing yeti he suits? is a um twice removed aunt <laughs> of the yeti that's that's it that's, that's it mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks ancestry dna you're welcome <laughs> everyone who examined the two 
scalps that were believed to be true, concluded that they were both single pieces of skin with no traces of stitches or glue, and comparisons of exported hairs with those of various other animals yielded no matches. <gasps> Sorry, Blue Bear, you are not the father. R.I.P. 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 Jerry Springer. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Things should be bringing me down uh, when I was on okay, such a high note. So you did see where uh, the the woman that accused Till, the the kid that was murdered by lynching in Mississippi, he was like from Chicago. The woman that accused him, she lied about it. She admitted a couple like ten years back or something like Shocking. that. Shocking that he had never catcalled her or anything like that. She died this week, and then right after that, Jerry Springer I'm died. Sorry. So you got to know that bitch is showing up and they're like, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. 100%. That is what's happening in heaven right now. <laughs> or hell, wherever they are. <laughs> or purgatory. Or whatever you believe. We're here for everyone. Is it the other place? Over. I don't know. Is it the good place? Oh, that would be great. I love that show. Anyway, we digress. Again. <laughs> so they concluded that they were real scalps and that they didn't match any animals. However... Not everyone was convinced of the scalp's veracity, especially in Nepal itself. And Peter Byrne, remember him? <laughs> Peter Byrne. He's a member of Tom Slick's expedition. Who's naming these people? Peter Byrne? Yeah. <laughs> Got a rug burn, Peter? <laughs> They're from Texas, FYI. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Answered a lot of questions. <laughs> he wrote that it was notorious all over southern Nepal that the Kumjung scalp was a fake. And had been made some 12 to 15 years before by a Tibetan taxidermist. Out of jealousy, the pang, pan, whatever, the other one that's the real <laughs> scalp. They believe the scalps were made out of a molded and sewn skin from some other normal animal. And Wood Jones maintained correctly as it later turned out that the hairs came from the shoulder of an ungutlate, you know. You've seen those, right? Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. <laughs> They're so cute. <laughs> Adorable. So in November of 1960, Sir Edmund Hillary was given permission to take the Kumjung scalp to experts in Chicago, Paris, and London, including cryptozoologist, my boy, Bernard Huvelsman, who had already examined photographs of the scalps, both of them. Initially, a closer examination of the scalp showed that it had every appearance of being genuine due to arrangement of the hair tracks, an arrangement found only on the crown of a head. However, able to see the scalp up close, he was also reminded of the mane of the southern zero, which he had seen in an Amsterdam zoo prior to the Second World War, in, which has a relative animal found in Nepal. So... You know, he was over here 20 years ago and he saw this animal and he's pretty sure that's the same scalp. Like, but it's been a minute, but I'm uh, 99% <laughs> sure. It's been a minute. Direct quote. <laughs> I just like how you said genuine. <laughs> it was a very rare animal, not represented in the Paris Natural History Museum, and its hairs had therefore not been available comparisons to scientists who examine the scalp hair. So he's like, I ain't got no hairs to confirm what I'm saying, <laughs> but trust me, I bet this is the same thing. Bet. Bet. It's no cap. No cap. <laughs> mm, mm So, you know, he had to be right. <laughs> Obviously. 
Couldn't be the Yeti's room. Eventually, uh, this gentleman found a specimen in Brussels, and by comparing its hair <laughs> with those on the scalps, found that the alleged scalp was indeed composed of zero hair. The scalps were more like wigs made by stretching the skin from the neck of the sea route over a mold. The arrangement of hair tracks, which had seemed to suggest the skin came from the crown of an animal, were examined by Ivan Sanderson, who discovered after some experimentation that it was a moistened pelt that was stretched over a hat-shaped mold, and it produced a sort of landslide in the layers of skin. The hair tracks no longer lie at their original angle, but point in a direction in which the skin had been stretched. Oh, okay. I know. That, that was like my, some uh, real science. I'll put some that in my Ed Gein pres- preservation um, tactics. There you go. Bucket right there. Yeah. <laughs> Fun facts that will never be of use and only scare people. Put it in that bucket. <laughs> That's how I get out of parties. <laughs> Did you know if you moisten a scalp you and you moisten. stretch it over a bowl? First of all, you already lost him at moisten. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if I didn't, I lost him at scalp. <laughs> yes. Let me tell you about this. Let's find out if we Listen, can I'm really a doctor. be friends. <laughs> this is how I find out if people can be my friends. I'm like, hey, want to hear about a moistened scalp? And if they get up and walk away, we can't be friends. If they're That's like, it. tell me more. That's those it. are my people. Those are our people. That's how I got JJ. About moistened scalps? Yes. So we talked about it on our first date. <laughs> Harry Potter moistened scalps. It was a match made in heaven. <laughs> it was. Or hell. <laughs> None of the scalps seem to be made to deliberately hoax outsiders. Uh, let me get this right. So you moistened the scalp, stretched it over a mold, but we weren't trying to fool anybody. It was like a homage. <laughs> yeah. We were trying to preserve it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We just didn't do it the right way. And it happened this. Like It was the 50s. I was waiting how long it was going to take you to get in that chair. <laughs> I was like, my back's hurting for him. (laughs) Right? (laughs) They started thinking that, so that third scalp that they knew was fake right away, they think that monastery created it because they were jealous that the other two monasteries were getting all this hype over their scalp. So they're like, all right, all right, we got you. We got you, fam. We're going to make one too. (laughs) We all, it's arts and crafts time. (laughs) Exactly. With scalps. It's a bunch of monks sitting around. What else are you going to do? You in the mountains, it's cold. You can't, like, I don't, I'm pretty sure there's celibate. Nobody comes and visits you. You're wearing this orange little kimono type outfit. Exactly. Sounds like you would need something to do. And scalp arts and crafts is it. <laughs> I'm here for it. Sign me up. <laughs> Twice a week. Is there an event bright for this or? <laughs> no, it's a uh, Evite. I'll send it to you. Thanks. <laughs> do we even still do Evite? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I had somebody, they're like, I know how old you are just because you use that Yahoo. I'm like, how old am I? They're like, you're in your mid-30s to 40s. Well, you don't have to come for me so hard. And I'm going to need you to fuck right off. <laughs> Thank you. How's that for mid-40? She's like, how is it? I just hit. Think about those people having at AOL.com. Like, that's still around? Don't you have an at AOL? She's like, do I look like it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when me and Jimmy started dating, he had an AOL. <laughs> I believe it. He probably still does. He hits up his fly honeys on there. <laughs> he has Microsoft Outlook. Okay, he's classier. Oh, me, sir. Can I even be in the room with her? <laughs> <laughs> I won't even make eye contact. 
so after they found out that the the third group was like just making shit to keep up with the other two, then people were like, you know what? I think the second group made up their shit too to keep up with the first group. So we're all playing a game of keeping up with the Jones here with the Yeti scalps. Exactly. Not shit to do. Have you seen their Yeti scalps? Ours needs to be nicer. <laughs> and remember, remember theirs was 300 years old and losing hair? Not ours. Not ours. Mm-mm. He had his Propecia. <laughs> <laughs> propecia. Proactive? No, there's like Propecia. What's, oh, no. Yeah, that is condition. <laughs> I was thinking like just for men. We're going to take a we're gonna take a quick break while Jen takes a nap. <laughs> Listen, you can't fix this with a nap. <laughs> oh, that's true. Never mind. Return to regular scheduled airing. <laughs> the first people, their scalp itself is still more of a mystery, as there was no one to be jealous of it. So, were they? That sounds lonely. They sound like well, they just sound like a trend starter to me. I'm just saying. <laughs> We made a scalp. Everybody followed. Call it Gucci. <laughs> Gucci. Gucci. <laughs> they suggested that it had been originally created as a prop for actors who represented the Yeti in ritual dances as evidence. And here we go. Here's where I'm like, so y'all kept saying this was real, but then you said it could have been a prop because it had holes along the top and side, possibly for fasteners or prayer flags. Nobody mentioned that before. <laughs> Not a soul. And they're like, you know, it's all legit except for the buttons on the side. <laughs> <laughs> you, no, that didn't come with it. We added that. That's a post-manufacturing addition. <laughs> That's a dealer it's choice. It's kind of like when you get upgraded cabinets in your home. Exactly. <laughs> That's what happened with the scout. It's real. It's real. It's real. We added them later. But it's definitely authentic cabinets. <laughs> Authentic. Authentic. It's genuine. <laughs> Every time I, someone says that, it makes think me think of a pony. Jump out Back to where we were. But <laughs> that over the centuries, its true origin had been forgotten. And they began to assume that it was a genuine scout. Donald Troll, not to be confused with Trump, wrote. Yeah, I love we were on the same. I was like. <laughs> We should be calling him Donald Troll, though. <laughs> you seen his hair? It's like a trolley. Especially when the wind picks it up. I'm just waiting for the diamond belly button. Maybe he went and got the Yeti Scout the buttons on. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Coincidence? I think not. Is it a cryptid? Or is it Trump's hair? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. So he wrote that the Yeti Scalps were mo- no more deceptive than the sugary pastry we figuratively called a bear claw. So he's basically saying like, you know, we see a donut and we call it a bear claw, but it ain't really a bear claw. It's a donut. So. (laughs) (laughs) What what law? Let me bring in some pastry knowledge in here. (laughs) Look, I can, I can get on the food, food train. Talk to me in terms I understand food. We all know a bear claw is not a creature. It's not a fauna. (laughs) It well, is a pastry. You know, the guy who's suing Buffalo Wild Wings because. <laughs> yes. So, you know, he's just trying to get on those people's level. Yeah. And give them an understanding. Exactly. He's like, homie, homie. It's kind of like when we call a donut a bear claw. Did you really think they were going to give you a bear claw? Come on, bro. <laughs> Come on. You knew it was a fucking donut. Speaking of wild wa- Buffalo Wild Wings and people being idiots, I knew this girl one time she joined a um, wing eating contest of B-dubs. And burnt her mouth because she ate them so fast because it was like you have to eat like 20 or and you get like a t-shirt or something. 
worth it. No, she put the shit out of her mouth, won a t-shirt, and then sued I'm here for it. I would wear the t-shirt to the trial. Be like, what? That is not a recipe for evolution there. Oh, man, it's too hot. Put it in my mouth. I'd be like, at the trial, I'd be like, I burned my mouth, and all I got was a shirt. Not even a kuma. Not even free wings. Look at my tongue. Oh. I got this shirt. And look how faded it is. The letters are even coming off. <laughs> I'm here for it. On March 19th, 1954, the Daily Mail printed an article which described expedition teams obtaining hair samples from what was the alleged to be Yeti scalp found in the monastery. The hairs were black to dark brown in color in dim light, then fox red in sunlight. The hair was analyzed by Professor Frederick Wood Jones, an expert in human and comparative anatomy. During the study, the hairs were bleached, cut into sections, and analyzed microscopically. The research <laughs> girl, these people and the research they do on this Yeti and the depths they go is unfathomable. I'm just saying, like, is he going for a platinum look? Or? <laughs> well, you know, he started Did out he dark brown or? and then he was fox red and now he bleached it. <laughs> Maybe some turquoise on it. Purple. Yeah. <laughs> he cut them into sections and analyzed them microscopically. The research consisted of taking micro photographs of the hairs and comparing them with hairs from known animals such as bears and orangutans. Jones concluded that the hairs were not actually from a scalp. He contended that while some animals do have a ridge of hair exceeding from the pate to the back, no animals have a ridge running from the base of the forehead across the pate and ending at the nape of the neck. So basically, they don't have hair like we do. Jones was unable to pinpoint exactly the animal from which the hairs were taken. He was, however, convinced that the hairs were not from a bear or anthropod ape, but instead from the shoulder of a coarse-haired hoofed animal. Sounds like a Yeti to me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying I do, again, am a self-appointed cryptozoologist. Also, now I'm having shower thoughts. Like, what are the point of eyebrows? What's the point of what? I've never realized, th thought about it, that we have our hair grow in just certain places. Mm -hmm. You know, versus how most animals are covered in hair. I'm like, oh, well, why? Why do we have, what's the point of eyebrows? I can understand eyelashes. I can understand nose hairs. Just shower thoughts, you know what I mean? I think the point of eyebrows, if I remember correctly, is so... You can get them on fleek. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when God created him, he was like, this bitch is going to need something to be on fleek. I got you, fam. Eyebrows. Eyeball, eyeball transplants. This is, it brings me back. <laughs> These are the thoughts we have. It is. I apologize, guys. Jimmy's Fun Facts. Why do we have eyebrows? To answer this question, we first have to step back in time. Ancient human ancestors did not typically possess eyebrows, but did have very prominent jutting brows. These were believed to be used as a sexually dimorphic display, similar to antlers on a deer, as a way of finding a mate and for establishing dominance among other males. Eventually, as human groups began to diversify and social networks expanded, there became an evolutionary reason to favor friendliness over aggression. It was during this time that the brow ridge began to shrink and eyebrows began to first form. There is a dual purpose as to why eyebrows formed in this way. Without a jutting brow line, the eyes had no protection against moisture or light, so the body adapted by creating hair which grows outward toward the side of the face. This helped direct moisture and particles away from the eyes. 
Also importantly, the modal nature of the eyebrows aided in nonverbal communication and expressing complex emotions. This self-domestication, if you will, was an evolutionary advantage that led to modern humans being the social animals we are. Maybe we were born with them, maybe it's Maybelline, but they do serve a purpose. Stalmore Rocklitz claimed in his book The Long Walk, published in 1956, that as he and some others were crossing the Himalayas in the winter of 1940, their path was blocked for hours by two bipedal animals that were doing seemingly nothing but shuffling around in the snow. <laughs> Sorry, just kicking in the snow. I had to leave that man. one because I'm like, so y'all are on this big expedition. I'm assuming that you probably have weapons of some sort with you and y'all are just chilling while two animals are standing there just kicking snow around and you're like, fuck, we can't go anywhere. How are we going to find the yeah, <laughs> two creatures? <laughs> are blocking our path. We're never going to find them, guys. God, pedestrians always think they have the right of way. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's just two yetis hanging around, kicking around like it's their first date. Like, so, what do you like to do? They're like, hey, 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 it's me and Jen, the yetis. Jen, 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 watch this. If we just stand here and kick the snow, let's see how long these dumbasses just sit there waiting to go. <laughs> we yetis, we ain't got nothing else going on. Fuck You're yeah, like, let's do it. Shit, dinner's not for another four hours. Let's go, fam. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we're going to end part one of the yeti. When we come back, we're going to get into Texas oil businessman and adventurer. Tom Slick. Woo. Love him already. It's been great. If you've listened this far, sorry for our rants, but you know you needed a little mind bleach and a little humor. I hope you found it as funny as we did. Um, and You might need to come back to like save the other half of this for like midpoint of her next series because yeah. it gonna be rough. It is. This one's just fun. This, this is, is just so fucking fun. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> there are times that I was like, don't say anything right now, Jennifer. I know you think this is funny, but don't say anything right now. You got to let her go. And you then know? you said it. <laughs> then I can't. I can't help it. I love that. I'm here for it. <laughs> so I wrote this one and I don't have all the fancy stuff, Jenjas, that she inserts. Basically, we're on all the socials. Hit us up. Let us know your own Too Close to Home stories. Uh, we do sell merch. Buy some of our merch if you want. We need to come up with some more Bigfoot. We need to come up with a Bigfoot dating game shirt. We do, and we need a Yeti one. Just two Yetis. Kicking around Shuffle. snow with a bunch of dumbasses sitting in a bush waiting for them to move. <laughs> These two right here. These two right here. <laughs> yeah. It would be rude if we told them to move. <laughs> <laughs> like, all of a sudden, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just act like I'm going to run real quick, and then I'm going to stop and see what they do. <laughs> <laughs> you going to get me? <laughs> oh, my God. Psych. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> so until next time, stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And please bring it so close to home that you sit in a bush and just watch two yetis kick some fucking snow around for hours. I'm please. here for it. But please don't scalp. Keep the yeti safe, okay? Keep safe. Why are we why are we doing this these folks? They just piddling around in the snow. I'm glad you said that, because that's a great follow up to another section in part two. Good job, Jen. Oh, God, I'm so good. She's such a good leader. Oh, I love you. All right, bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.